What's good, streaming people? This is Canel and Bell. DK's off. Tommy Train here with Raja and Monday Night Football. Boy, oh boy. It looked like it was the Lions early, and they were going to win by like 10 points or maybe two touchdowns. And then things got weird, Raja, all the way to the end where the Packers come back and win. What was your big takeaway from last night? Um, You know, I felt... I felt a little bad for the NFL. Like the game itself, not a bad game, comes down to the wire, game winning drive. Um, you know, it was interesting to see the Matt LaFleur and, and Aaron Rodgers, uh, thing working out, like whether that offense is dynamic or not. Uh, but having the story this morning be more about, uh, referees, mm-hmm. um, and, and their impact on the game than it is about the actual game. I felt bad for the NFL and I rarely do. Um, but they're, they obviously have a situation on their hands that they got to figure out, um, and come to some answers about. It's interesting, too, because not only do you have – it's one thing for players in that game, and so you've got guys on the Lions who certainly feel like Trey Flowers and other guys that were mad about the calls. And when they don't go your way, obviously you're naturally going to feel that way. But when you have former players and coaches and then even guys like in the media members and, and you got Lions great Barry Sanders tweeting going like, what's going on? And it's in prime time, and it's Monday night. Then you know something's there, right? Yeah, you definitely. When the reaction is what it was, and I, you know, I came in, um, you know, in and out of the game. I had stuff going on at the house, and I was there at the end um, when that last hands to the to the face uh, was called. And to hear, you know, Booger McFarlane, um, really, the broadcast uh, became a little disjointed because he was just so uh, taken aback by the call, the timing of the call, how bad it was. Um, and again, it just starts to it starts to affect. Your ability to really watch one of these games, um, you know, without that being a distraction for you. And, and real, real talk, Tommy, like I, I like football. I sit there and watch football games. I can appreciate defensive battles. I can appreciate offensive shootouts. Um, it was distracting for me, you know? So when you ask me what my takeaway f- what was from the game, it's a genuine reaction. It was that the officiating took away from the viewing experience for me. What's it like as a player to, to have seemingly calls go against you? And again, it seemingly always is like the hometown team gets the calls. And so if you're like a Lions player and you're, and you're trying to get a win on the road and it just seems like it's an uphill battle already with a, a team that you're going up against and now you got to deal with some refs too. Yeah. Like typically, um, you know, you're taught from a young age that you don't really control the refs, right? And to not put the game in the refs' hands. So you do everything you can to make the game, you know, uh, a, a 10, a, a 10 point game. So, you know, any, late whistle or flag that would give them three or seven points wouldn't affect the outcome because you've done enough to get over the hurdle, you know, with the refs, right? But unfortunately, as a competitor, um, you always feel like you're doing enough to win the game. Anytime you're up one point late in the game with a chance to get a stop, you feel like you've done enough to win it. And a ref's uh, call is going to cost you the game in your mind. And that's the way you'll feel a- as a player. Um, look, refs are humans. It's a really hard job. I'm not saying that I would do it any better. I don't have the answer for the replays. All I would say to refs, and I say this about NBA officials a lot, is you don't want to be the show. You know, the product is the players. The product is the game. You just want to be there. And the the biggest compliment you can give a ref is that I didn't even notice you. Do you know what I mean? And far too often today, and across not just at the NFL, um, refs think that it's their stage. And, you know, to some degree, 
they have come up through the ranks just like players have, right? Like they've aspired to be an NBA or NFL ref and, you know, they cut their teeth at the local high school level probably and matriculated to college. And then, you know, they, they, they do all of these camps and, and then they get a opportunity to do G League. And, you know, they, so they've climbed the ranks too. And when they get there, they feel accomplished. But again, you're not the show. So that would be the best compliment you could give a ref in my mind is, Hey, man. That was a great game last night. I didn't even see you. Yeah. Cause that means, that means you managed it. That you know, means you did exactly what you were supposed to do. And we know it's not easy. You're going to be under a microscope. There's a new replay. There's the challenges and all that stuff. But boy, it has been tough for, and here's another thing too. And to go macro a little bit, what we've seen with some of the, the replays that have been challenged. Yeah. And it's crazy. Cause if you're at home and you see it like as a fan and you could see it clearly, but we've seen that they don't want to, overturn something because they don't want to make the refs that made the call look bad, even though it's supposed to be the right call, right? So let me just button up one thing, and then we'll move on to stuff again. Takeaways from on the field. Again, Barry Sanders tweeted this out, said, I know that no one in the Lions can say it, so I will. That is a terrible missed call on the hands to the face. Talking about Trey Flowers. Bad break for our D that is playing so hard. Hashtag replay help needed. Again, Barry Sanders, who's not known for being this guy that comes out and complains a lot. He felt compelled to take to Twitter and voice his frustration. Like, my thing is, uh, if you're going to have the replay, Tommy, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not in the minority with this, but if you're going to have it, get it right. Like, I feel like they've taken a stance as the NFL to say, all right, we're introducing, you know, replay for pass interference mm -hmm. and, and, and things like that. But we are not going to be in the habit of reversing our calls. That's what I'm saying, yeah. They're, right? There's a stance. They don't want to make it look bad. Right. Like, But you're doubling down on bad. You're putting good money after bad now. Do you know what I mean? Like, If you're going to have the replay uh, and you're going to open it up, then just be transparent about it. Like, We've blown that call. We missed that call. Whether your percentage of makes and misses are like 65% misses to 35 makes, hey, you're human. Like we'll, we'll give you that, but get it right once we go to the replay. And that's the tough thing with the NFL. The, the pass interference, whether offense or defense is a lot like a block or a charge in basketball. It's so subjective. And again, though, when you see it, when fans can see it, and I, granted, they slow it down and you got to get it right, though. If something's a little bit more clear. Yeah. And you don't see it get reversed because they want to save face. It makes it pretty tough. Yep. So at the end of the day, the Lions, boy, they've suffered back-to-back -back losses now. At one point, obviously, 2-0-1. They're now 2-2-1. Tough loss for them. But though I mentioned, look, they, they settled for a lot of field goals. They probably should have packed it and poured it on a little bit early. And then all that stuff happened late. And on the other side, all of a sudden, you look at it, and I was surprised again and reminded the Packers are 5-1. They're yeah. leading the division. And yet it's weird because they're doing it in a few different ways. You know, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been lighting it up. They haven't been zinging it around everywhere with Matt LaFleur. And every week it's been somebody different. You know, Aaron Jones obviously had the big game two weeks ago against the Cowboys. Comes out fumbles. All of a sudden it's Jamal Williams. You know, we'll, we'll talk about another unsung hero on the, on the wide receiver end. But, boy, they're getting it done, different guys every week. Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting way to see the Packers play because you're so used to just – watching this virtuoso that's Aaron Rodgers run around and pull rabbits out of hats. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just what he's done for so long. Um, I think you become a, a, a much more well-rounded team when at least through the regular season you spread the wealth like they are. You're giving a lot of people a lot of big game, big responsibility type of experiences. Um, you know what Aaron Rodgers can do. And hopefully Matt LaFleur and company, when push comes to shove and they really, really need something, they will allow him to do what he does in its purest form, right? But in the meantime, if you can win games, you know, with the defense that isn't fantastic, but uh to your point, Ben, don't break. You know, they're seventh in the league in takeaways. They're figuring out ways to do it on that side of the ball. And offensively, you spread around the wealth. 
You get a lot of people that experience. You develop that trust between Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of different weapons. Um, then when push comes to shove, if you got to let Aaron do what he does, he trusts a lot of people and you let him go to work. Their next few games will be interesting to kind of learn about Green Bay a little bit. Again, 5-1, and their only loss was to the Eagles in that Thursday night game. So they're going to host the Raiders, which is playing well. Raiders yeah. are coming off a bye. They're 3-2. and two. Then at the Chiefs. At the Chargers, which now with, with L.A. kind of banged up and they're not playing well, but then the Panthers and the Niners with the Niners there undefeated in the in the conference. So that'll be an interesting test there. And, again, doing it without Devontae Adams. He's, he's been out, and Geronimo Allison got hurt, and that was another sort of like uh, collision slash penalty call that a lot of people did not agree with with the unnecessary roughness. Yeah, one. That, was, that, that was pretty tough. There. That's a tough call. What do you want a DB to do if he can't make a play? to catch a ball, like not even to separate a receiver from the ball, but literally going down to try to make an interception and they wind up unfortunately colliding, but that, I mean, certainly not a personal foul. And so then they're thin at wide receiver. Then you come in and you got this guy, Alan Lazard comes in in the fourth yeah. and Aaron Rodgers after the game talked about how much he loved having this guy. He's a, he's a guy that during practice and doing all the right things just hasn't had the platform to come and, and make a splash. And because of necessity, and injury, he comes in, he catches the touchdown pass. He has two or three catches that extends the drives there in the fourth quarter. Here's Rodgers on that 35-yarder in the third and five. Catches it, coming out of college, doing well. I mean, it's a, it's a great story because his only previous catch ever was one thrown by Deshaun Kaiser. So not only does he come up big for them, but him and, and Aaron Rodgers look like they click right away. Yeah, I mean, this is pro sports, um, you know, next man up type of mentality, right? Like when, you know, as a guy who was never a star, um, and sometimes had to be sitting on the bench waiting for my turn, the only thing you could control was whether or not you were ready to go if your number got called. And there was no guarantee that it was going to get called. But if my number gets called, I got to be ready to go because that's my window. I don't know if it's going to be one minute. I don't know if it's going to be five minutes. You know, in his, I don't know if I'm going to get a ball thrown to me or if my job is going to be to block. But whatever I get in that that couple seconds, I'm going to go to work. Uh, and credit to him for being ready to go. That's what pros are supposed to do. And then, you know, it's really interesting when you get a, a guy like that who, you know, the viewing public doesn't really know. There's no name recognition. But his, uh, you know, the the best player on his team has faith in him. Yep. There are guys like that in the NBA all the time because you develop that relationship and practice with the best player. You know, I've been on teams with – you know, or, or I've been fortunate to be around teams and LeBron sticks out for me when I was in the front office. Um, and he had this affinity for like Joe Harris. Joe Harris has turned out to be a really, really good basketball player. But before we could really see it, he had earned LeBron's trust in practice, you know, shooting with him, um, you know, playing pickup with him, um, you know, in the scrimmaging that we were doing. And so, you know, no one really knew Joe, Joe Harris the way we know him now. But LeBron knew him back then. So that was interesting for me to see, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, know this guy and trust this guy, even though we didn't know him yet. Yeah, four catches, 65 yards. And after the game, Rodgers, too, talking about he was starting to actually want the ball. That last drive when they needed first down, Rodgers said Lazard came into the huddle and said, give me the ball. And then Matt LaFleur gave him two options. So then Rodgers was like, let's go with the play that's going to get Lazard the ball. Yeah. Caught the ball, extended the drive, and again, they Big ultimately time. win the game. One more thing on the Lions here, and, and I talked about how close they were to to not only being, um, you know, three one and one, but really they could arguably be undefeated. They had a tie against Arizona, so they have two crushing back to back losses. And again, this is sort of a team that wants to take the next step. You know, Matt Patricia's there for another year. They've got Stafford. They look like they're playing well. 
And now you have two bumps in the road where you probably at worst split and you end up 0-2. Take me through the mentalities. We're looking at their schedule here. You know, it's got to be a tough week now coming back to work thinking you probably should have had that game there. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a natural uh, letdown because you feel like you let one get away. But I'm not hanging my head if I if I lost in a close one to, to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that played out last night, uh, I, I'm probably not beating myself up over it. Now, you know, we did let two slip away that we should feel like could have helped us in the standings. But it's just back to work. We're good enough. Is what I'm preaching. If I'm if I'm Matt Patricia, we are. We're right there. Um, and unfortunately, during the course of a season, you catch some bad breaks. Well, you can't control that anymore. All we can do is go back to the drawing board, go back to work, and take that next step as a team. We want to continue to get better week to week. Uh, and if they approach it like that, you know they'll be fine. Like they got some winnable games, they can go out there and 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 try to put numbers back on the board. But if you're them, I don't think you're in panic uh, in a panic area at all, man. You you are. Ahead of where you were last year, mm-hmm. you're you're trending in the right direction, and those last two games are nothing to really hang your head about. Both of those are quality football teams. Let's get back to work. Next game will be against uh, Minnesota and the Vikings. Vegas Oddsmakers has that at a pick 'em right now, so that one's going to be important to the division race. Damn, you've been handling those updates, bro. Man. I even want to come help out in HQ. <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> back here, Cadell and Bell, Tommy and Raja. Time to talk baseball and let's bring in our guy david samson and he's not in here because he's over on his set you may have sought a sneak peek on social media but now you're sort of uh, we're taking you behind the curtain and of course it's nothing personal david samson now right now just audio but next week will be the full video and audio experience we'll talk about uh his show and his program coming up a little bit but david we have to talk about the mlb postseason and let's start with the washington nationals trying to exercise the playoff demons of this decade, 12, 14, 16, and 17, they are on the cusp of winning the pennant and getting to the World Series. What's standing out to you about what they're doing and how they're getting it done? Well, you're seeing that now that the regular season is over, home runs are at a premium, and it's pitching and defense that's winning games. And the Cardinals have just not been able to hit against the Nationals pitching. The string of three starts in a row, by starting with Sanchez, then followed up by Scherzer, next in line with Strasburg, and now you've got Corbin. The Cardinals are just overmatched. Only Jose Martinez is hitting, and it's good to see that pitching matters again in Major League Baseball playoffs. Let me ask you something with this, and again, we all think, and still a long way to go, anything can happen. Cardinals just need to get one back and then go from there. But let's just say that the Nationals continue this streak going on. They get it done, whether it's a sweep or a gentleman sweep. And then you have the other side where you have the Yankees and the Astros play a prolonged series. And that's waiting a lot to me. I feel like this team's got the mojo. You know what it's like to have a wild card team win it all. But then I fear of the Rockies in 07, I think it was, when they swept and then had to sit for a long time. What do you think about the Nats here, big picture? Well, it's not going to be a long time. The most it can be is a week, and they'll try to stay sharp if they sweep and finish the series tonight. The World Series starts next Tuesday. But you want to line up your pitching if you're the Nationals. You don't want to play extra games to, quote-unquote, stay sharp. You don't want to give the Cardinals any sort of hope that they can do what the 0-4 Red Sox did. I don't think the Cardinals have the team to do that. And you're right. The Nats are beginning to feel like the team of destiny. The problem with teams of destiny is eventually they have to face Cole, Verlander, and Greinke. No doubt. All right, uh, David, talk to me about Howie Kendrick as he continues uh, to shine for the Nationals. He was three for four last night. 
Um, three doubles, three RBIs. He's 36 years old. And for a casual baseball fan, tell me why he's so important and why he's playing so great right now for them. Well, he's had a very interesting career where he's been a hitter his entire career, and he was traded to the Nationals. We actually were involved in a three-team trade with him with the Dodgers, and uh, he was traded to, from the, to the Angels for a guy named Andrew Heaney was traded. So here's what I think about him. He's getting more pitches to hit than he's ever had in his career because he's got Rendon and Soto ahead of him in the lineup, and he's taking advantage. It's reminded me a little bit like Steve Pierce, last year's MVP of the World Series. Each year, there's some player who steps up. Now, Kendrick is free agent. He should not be getting paid a lot of money next year. He should not get a long-term contract. Can he parlay this into a major league deal with guaranteed money? Maybe. But to me, without this hot postseason, he would have been, at best, a uh, invite to spring training, a minor league deal with a split contract, maybe for a million or two. But will teams look at this and say, oh, God, he can help us during the regular season? We were always very careful not to scout the postseason in that way because you get players like Kendrick doing things like this, and then you end up uh, not wanting to sign him after you do. David Sampson joining us here at Canel and Bell, former Marlins President World Series champion in 2003. You know, David, you said all that stuff about Kendrick and, and all the money and maybe not give him a deal. But what about Steven Strasburg? He has a chance now to opt out of that four-year, $100 million deal in the way he's pitched in this postseason. It looks like the latter. He's going to opt out and probably get some big money here. So the person, and I, I hate to say this, the person benefiting the most from the Nats run is Scott Boris, the agent, who's got Strasburg and Rendon. He's taking them both to market, and he's going to try to do better than Bryce Harper, better than Patrick Corbin did in last offseason. And for Strasburg, he may just get it, but he's had a Tommy John before. He's always a risk to be injured. He's just had an unreal year, led the National League in innings pitched, and had a great postseason on top of that. And then Rendon, of course, is, you know, they chose him over Harper for the Nats did. And we talked about it on Canel and Bell and what used to be sometimes Samson and said, hey, the Nats are better without Harper than they were with him. And that's what's played out. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You can minus a talent like that and, and get better. It happens in sports all the time. What do you think the game looks like tonight, David? Give me a few things maybe I should look for. Ultimately, who do you think gets it done? Well, if you're watching, let's start with the afternoon game quickly because if you're home, Raja, take a look at Garrett Cole pitch because you're watching maybe the best pitcher pitching the best. And when you get those two things combined, it's like watching an artist. The way he approaches a game, it's art. And when you're thinking about the National League Championship Series tonight, the question is, can the Cardinals find a way with Dakota Hudson pitching to beat Patrick Corbin, the lefty starter who signed that big deal in the offseason? And can the Nats do what they've never done? As you know very well, Raja, it's hard to win the fourth game of a series because of all the stakes and what is at stake. So the closeout game is the toughest, just like the ninth inning is the toughest when you're the closer. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Nats respond. And David, when you look at the, the Astros and Yankees, obviously a pivotal game three with the series tied at one, but all the talk is about game four and actually the, the weather there out in New York could potentially postpone game four, which would push everything back a day. And we've already heard that both managers, look, the Yankees already do the bullpen approach or at least have their starters go short and have that fantastic bullpen. A.J. Hinch has talked about already having a bullpen day. However, 
if it rains out and they postpone game four, it allows Zach Greinke to come back on full rest. So if, if there is a delay here, which team do you think has the advantage? So I think the advantage does go to Houston. I'm going to talk about this on nothing personal later today because this is, uh, the Yankees and Astros really have nothing to do with this. This is an MLB decision, unlike the regular season. And MLB is going to decide early, like today, whether to postpone the game tomorrow. The weather in New York does look terrible. It doesn't look like there's going to be a window, but you can bet that Rob Manford is on the phone right now to the weather channel before he makes that decision. But if the Yankees have to play four games in a row, with their bullpen, which is strong but will get tired, that's an advantage to the Astros. Um, I'm really jealous sitting here looking at your set there, David. Um, you got your own set built. I got, I'm gonna talk to somebody. Um, but let me, let me take you off your set real quick. Put your GM hat back on because the Cubs are interviewing, uh, Gabe Kapler and Joe Espada today. Is one of those names, uh, more interesting to you if you were in that position as a hire for the Cubs? No, I don't think that either of them are interesting. Joe Espada is a good guy who's gonna be getting some interviews. Uh, and I just don't know that he would be my choice to manage the Cubs. And it's sort of like a, a Rick Renteria gets brought in as a longtime organizational guy, but then gets jettisoned when Joe Madden was, was hired and ready to go. I think the Cubs are looking at David Ross. That makes more sense to me. But I, I like Joe. You know, you think what he did with the Marlins, he was well respected, a very good infield coach. You know, Perry Hill got the reputation as being the best infield coach in baseball. Joe Espada was just as good and just as capable. And by being the bench coach in Houston, he's learned under A.J. Hinch. So he's ready at some point, but just not for the Cubs. And what about the Phillies opening? Speaking of Gabe Kapler, looking like they're going the other way with more experienced candidates there, David. Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker, the Joe Girardis of the world. Do you think that's the right approach for Philly given the last two years and, and no postseason appearances? I think it's the right approach. And if you're the NL East, if you're the Marlins or the Mets or the Braves, or the Nats, you want the Phillies to hire Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker takes pitchers and he puts them out to pasture. He, he we, I have a World Series ring because Dusty Baker mismanaged the Cubs in 2003 in large part. And I can talk about that in much detail. And in terms of Girardi versus Showalter, you better be ready in Philly. That's an involved owner, John Middleton. Buck Showalter, no likey the owners. He does not want owners or presidents or GMs to tell him what to do. He wants to do it all from choosing the color of the chairs in the clubhouse to deciding season ticket plans that are being sold to the fans. So if that's the direction Philly wants to go, good luck to them. I think that I still think they should go after Joe Madden and overpay to get him. I think it's a better fit, but they may be too late with the Angels already negotiating with Joe. David, with all the managerial openings, whether through firings or retirings and openings, which franchise do you feel is, is, is right there, like they're one manager away of being where we are now, which is playing for a pennant and potentially a World Series? You know, it's hard. I, I, unlike the NFL and, and maybe the NBA is second, I think MLB is third in terms of importance of managers. They can make a good team great. They can't make a bad team good uh, in Major League Baseball. I think that the Angels are in no position to win a World Series anytime soon. I do not believe the Phillies have made the right move by signing Bryce Harper. They need pitching, so they're not close to winning. The Cubs have an opportunity, but again, they've shown a post-World Series hangover from 2016 that is real, and there could be issues there with Theo uh, working with him. There is no perfect situation, but there's only 30 jobs. So managers, that carousel lands on you. You take a job when it's offered, even if you know you're going to be fired shortly. Like Mickey Calloway, he would do that Mets 
over again every time because it gave him a chance to be a manager. Yeah, got to get it while the getting's good. Um, Dave, um, what do you got going on with the show today? Give me a little, like, keep me up to date with you, man. We haven't spoken in a while. So, uh, Raja, this is nothing personal, and we talk about things that are uh, <laughs> that are very much business-like, and, and we will give hot takes about uh, trending sports stories. So I'm going to talk about LeBron today and the things he said, getting himself involved. You better watch your mouth about LeBron, bro. What's the worst that'll happen? I'll get in trouble. <laughs> at least people at CBS will be watching and listening, right? The second thing, we're going to talk about the NFL officiating and what goes on behind the scenes in the offices of the NFL on a day like this, which calls are being made by the NFL to which teams and what they are saying and how they're dealing with and officiating. And we'll talk a little bit about how it works with MLB umpires and NBA officials. I'm also going to talk a little bit about what you said, Raja, earlier in the show, how referees are not supposed to be the show. Of course, in the old NBA, when you had Earl Strom and Daryl Gerritsen, and even Steve Javi to a large degree, the referees were very much the show. And I'm going to proffer an argument that it's okay for personalities to be the show, but not for bad calls to be the show. And that's a subtle difference. And, of course, we're going to review a, uh, a show called Succession, which had its season finale, because I'm going to talk about entertainment as well on Nothing Personal. I was going to say, you hinted at it a little bit. That was today's rundown. And again, right now, you can catch Nothing Personal with David Sampson audibly. Next week, we're going to start doing the dual thread along with the video. Again, give us a, a big picture of people that will be tuning in to, to your program and to your show, what they can expect on a daily basis, kind of the things that you format-wise are going to target here, David. Yeah, you you turn into CBS Sports HQ at 3 o'clock, and, and you'll see me taping this show, and then it'll be available on video on CBS All Access and on the CBS YouTube channel, of course, everywhere you get your podcast. And the purpose of this show is to give people a seat at the table, to take my 18 years of experience in Major League Baseball and apply it to really translate what goes on when Andrew Friedman, the president of the Dodgers, gives a press conference, what's he really saying? Because I've been there planning these press conferences. I've given these press conferences. And very often, we are trying to say nothing or mislead the public. But I want to let you know exactly what they mean to say and what they are saying. All right. David okay. Sampson joining us here on Canel and Bell. Looking forward to nothing personal with David Sampson coming up here later today and as well throughout the days on CBS Sports HQ. Bum, bum, Back here, Canel and Bell, NBA time. Preseason games, Lakers and Warriors, by the way, the undercash there easily last night. They're of 218 and a half. And we got some power rankings this year. Our guy Colin Ward Henniger is going to be taking the reins for CBSSports.com. Reed Forgrave, of course, did it for us here last year. And there's a list here. And really, it starts with the, the LA teams. Mm -hmm. Raja, Lakers, Clippers, when you sort of splice it and dice it. And, and here it is, you know, in the top 10 here, at least yeah. according to CBS Sports. Lakers are number one, Clips number two. You good with that? I'm okay with that. Um, I am a Clipper believer, but maybe not to the extent that everyone does. I think, uh, like every team, there's their chemistry issues that, that have to be figured out. I don't doubt that they can do it. Um, but you got to figure out exactly how that works with Kyrie, uh, and, and Paul George. Uh, also, I'm not so Kawhi. sure that I'm, it, Kawhi, what'd I say? Kyrie? Kyrie, my bad. Kawhi. Um, Good look. Uh, I, I, the depth there, you know, uh, once you, once you get a little deeper into that, while they're nice players, I, I don't know that it's enough at the end of the day. Um, and I do think that, that LeBron, AD, 
Kyle Kuzma. I think that group, if they figure it out chemistry-wise, there's a higher ceiling there. That's just my opinion. It scares me. Look, you play the league, and none of us are doctors and know things, but I just – I don't know. Paul George, is he all right? Like, he, he just – he's got the knees and the shoulders and, the, you know, it just – and I know that he's still a, a plus player. I just have, I have a lot of reservations of how healthy he's going to be. Sure. And really, it only matters in the postseason, I get that. But to your point about taking time to, to build chemistry and see how things look, what's the concern level for you if you're a Clipper fan and PG-13? Um, I think it's fair to have concerns about about his health. I mean, but I would have the same concerns if I was the Lakers and AD. AD is, is rarely playing full seasons healthy, and he just had the scare with the thumb. thumb. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So every NBA team, when you're dealing with um, your your – you know, two-headed monster, or your, or your, you know, big three. Like any of their health is of, of of the utmost concern because you know injuries are the things that derail you know championship runs the most. And so you're trying to navigate a season uh, healthy. You know, Kawhi. It's interesting. He said that the reason he was managed last year was because he was coming off of the injury two years ago. Um, if I'm the Clippers, I, I, I want to know what that looks like. Like I, I want to make sure I err on the side of caution with him. I don't want to throw him in for eighty you know, 80 regular season games, 78 regular season games, um, and run the risk of maybe him pulling up with something either. So, you know, it's a challenge for all NBA teams now, not just the Lakers or the Clippers, to really sit there with that medical staff, mm-hmm. that strength and conditioning component in your in your, in your your building and figure out, you know, a, 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 a map for Tommy Tran through an 82-game season, how we're going to manage that, that workload. All right, so that's a look at the top two teams in the power rankings. They happen to both be in the West, and they happen to both be in the city of Los Angeles. And then in the East, right, there's the conversation of the power rankings of whether it's the Bucks or whether it's the Sixers. Toronto, we know, is going to take a step back because Kawhi's no longer there. They the champs. They just celebrated their, what, Canadian Thanksgiving. Kudos to we the North. What do you think about Sixers, Bucks right now? Who has the edge? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I would probably slightly lean towards the Sixers, Um I think that Ben Simmons is going to take that next step. I don't know that he's going to be a great jump shooter this year, but I do think um, he's going to continue to round out his game and figure out ways to counter what teams do to him defensively. I think Joel Embiid is going to be uh, much hungrier than he was last year. I, I think he's put some things in perspective and the priorities are a little bit more in order. Um, you know, Tobias is going to have another good year. Joel, uh, Al Horford is going to be a huge pickup for them. You know, taking some of that defensive onus off of Joel, that's not what he's built to do anyway. But now you got a guy like Al Horford who, you know, nuts and bolts of, of your defense. And then I really think that Josh Richardson is going to be a big pickup. While they are going to miss um, um, J.J. Redick, mm-hmm. I think Josh Richardson is going to fill in nicely. He can spot shoot. He's had the ball in his hands a little bit, can make his own play from his time in Miami. And he's super athletic and a defensive presence. Uh, so I think the Sixers are a little bit better better right now and i think there's something real to me a slight hangover fairness coming off of the mvp let me take a, a slight pivot on ben simmons yeah no i know you're on i know you're on the gram a lot i don't know if you're on twitter a lot but nope. sixers sixers fans went nuts with ben simmons like recently when he's just made any any three yeah that he hits and anything that resembles like a natural step in three and and people are going bonkers yeah they he cashed it's it out between that and zion's like dunks on a nightly basis, um, and I know you said you, you give a slight edge to the Sixers. I mean, how much does Ben and that shooting have to, to be incorporated in how you assess them at the end of the season? Well, look, if Ben, first of all, the shot he made the other night was like a novelty thing. Like, you know, I want to see Sixers fans. Like, I'll feel like they are 
in the catbird seat uh, for sure. Once I see him knocking down threes and the place doesn't erupt like they just saw, like, you know, something that they've never seen before, right. uh, which they did. You know what I mean? Water. Like once he's knocking down jumpers and people are like, all right, good shot, Ben. Like, cause that's a natural thing for him. He becomes one of the best players in the NBA, Tommy. Like he's in the conversation as a, you know, top 10, top 15 player once, uh, top 12, once that, that jumper, and it doesn't have to be 40% from the three. Yeah, shoot, you know, low thirties from three, maybe be able to knock down some stuff off the bounce from inside the three. You already know what he can do around the rim in terms of finishing and, and facilitating offense. But that adds a dynamic to that Sixers team that would put them squarely in the driver's seat, um, and, and Milwaukee would be number two in the Eastern Conference. All right, happened. so we've talked about the top four teams in the CBS Power Rankings. Next up, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to you, mm-hmm. Raja, a couple of veteran teams that have accomplished a lot in the postseason, but they've had some changes to the roster, and I'm talking about seven and eight. That would be the Rockets yeah, and the Warriors. We'll talk about both teams, but who are you more interested in? In learning about the first, you know, two months of the season as we get to Christmas, is it going to be Russell Westbrook and James Harden in Houston? Is it going to be how how Golden State handles life without KD and incorporating D'Lo out of the two? What what's kind of sparking your interest a little bit? Yeah, um, I'm fascinated by both of these teams. I think the Rockets are a little low there. I probably have the Rockets coming in at five. No, no slight Dude, to the people Nuggets. are pumped on the Jazz, by the way, like like a lot from what they did in the offseason, But to put them above the yeah, Rockets. I don't, I don't. I mean, look, I like the Jazz. I said it on here a couple of weeks ago. I think they'll be good, but I still think the Rockets with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, two of the most dynamic players, uh, are, and 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 a, as gifted an offensive coach as you've ever seen. I think they figure it out. Um, and while they're on the way to trying to figure it out, I'll be tuned in to watch. Like that's going to be a fascinating dynamic for me because they played together when they were younger. But at that point, and I played against them a lot, um, Russ and KD were the guys. And then James Harden was like kind of a little, you know, uh, six man type of role where he'd come in and get, get busy off the bench. So he wasn't necessarily considered their equal. Now, you know, that, that, that shifted and, you know, them trying to figure that out offensively, um, and what they could potentially do there is, is, uh, really, really intriguing to me. I'm also fascinated to watch Golden State though, because, Steph Curry is going to, in my opinion, try to restamp and rebrand, um, you know, that, 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 that team and kind of put his name back on an MVP trophy, if you will. Uh, the platform is going to be there. There are going to be a lot of shots. He's going to have the ball in his hands. Some of those, you know, quote unquote crazy shots that he shoots, you'll see even more of those out of necessity this year. And I do think he gave up a huge part of himself to be unselfish and incorporate KD over the last couple of years. You know, in the quest for those championships, I think he gave up a couple of his prime, like, spotlight years, and he shared the spotlight. I think he'll try to put his stamp back on it this year. And I think for the Warriors, too, obviously we focus on Steph and offensively all the things that they do. When they are a championship team and when they were a championship team, because they've got uh, Ron Adams, a defensive specialist there, they're one of the better defensive teams, uh, you know, in terms of per possession. And so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. And Kevon Looney, which we saw in the postseason, is now going to have a, be the guy. It'll be interesting to see how he navigates a season with sure. heightened expectations. And so you have the Rockets and the Warriors there, part of the top ten. We have a former Warrior no longer with the team, and that's Andre Iguodala. You know, the Warriors lose Sean Livingston. They lose... Iguodala and, and the Grizzlies are going to be at the bottom of the power rankings, but it's more about their situation. I actually applaud Memphis for not just buying him out and letting him go trying to get something back. But on the other side, as a player, he's still got a little bit left in the tank, and he says that if he 
gets bought out and gets his druthers, he wants to go to L.A., one of the two teams. Yeah, he would be – I mean, I understand why Memphis isn't just letting him walk. I mean, he's going to be he's a still very, an very valuable piece mm-hmm. to, to to a championship type of team. Like, you know, not everybody is going to be a, in need of Andre Iguodala's services at this point. But to one of those teams, uh, especially with potential depth issues in, in both of those uh, places, having a guy uh, who can come in, play multiple positions – um, play a role, especially like the, a championship level role, uh, is going to be really, really important. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays itself out. I, I've been on both sides of these. Uh, you know, teams don't want to lose you for nothing. You know, as in a player, you know, you're like, look, I've given a lot of good years to the NBA. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if we could work this out, I'd hope that you'd work it out for me. So it's going to be interesting to see how long they actually hold on to him. Um, and how long he's got to wait to, to, to get out of the contract. It's interesting to me, looking at the power rankings, you can check them out at cbssports.com. There is a, a group here that I want to pick your brain on, okay? Yeah. So it's basically 21 through 25. It's the Mavs, Hawks, T-Wolves, mm-hmm. Bulls, and Suns. So teams and franchises that have some young talent, and look, a lot of them are going to struggle, but I think... Just the, the odds will have one of them will, will pop this year. And, yep. And if I were to peg you on one of those four or five teams, which team do you think has the highest ceiling this year? It's mm, a good question, Tommy. Um, off the top, allow me to work through this on air. Um, Mavs, Hawks, Suns. T-Wolves and Bulls. Yeah. I would say I put the T-Wolves and the Bulls underneath. Not to get the T-Wolves camp, but just because I kind of know what that looks like. Okay. Um, the Suns are going to be interesting. See if DeAndre Ayton can take that next step, and obviously Devin Booker. Um, the Hawks are really young. Trey Young is fantastic. Uh, John Collins, they got nice pieces. I'm looking to see what the Mavs do. I think those are two, uh, those are two upper echelon NBA players at their respective positions. Um, if you can figure out, you know, how those two play together, and if their chemistry is what I think it can be. Chris Tapps comes back, and he's another one that you never know if he's that's the thing or not. I pray, man, because yeah. and just as a fan, we, we showed a highlight on HQ this morning. Him and Doncic already working together, and I know it's a highlight package, so we're only putting the best plays. And I know it's the preseason, but the thought, yeah, Doncic and Porzingis is something to me. When I look at that, I think they've got some. Yeah, potential. that's that would be the team that sticks out. And then right after them, I, the Hawks could be really interesting. The Hawks could be one of those young, talented teams. While I don't think they make any noise this year like in terms of really threatening anything they could be a team that people don't really want to play and they could be exciting to watch all right um before we take a break right now nba finals who you got just very early and you can change your mind uh, just very, all right very early. um i'll say sixers i'll say sixers lakers just because okay just because no gonna have to hold you, to you said it. i can yeah, change my mind yes no doubt you just gotta have it though you're the expert we gotta <laughs> lean on you to see what you got all right, back here at Canel and Bell, home stretch time, and boy, oh boy. Um, all right, I mentioned Lakers and Warriors play last night, preseason, mm-hmm. tune-up, all that good stuff. Uh, all the talk coming out of Los Angeles and Twitter late night last night was LeBron James responding, talking about the situation with the NBA, Hong mm-hmm. Kong, and China, and specifically Daryl Morey, the Rockets GM, and obviously, if you've caught up by now, Daryl Morey's tweets did not sit well abroad and, and happening over there in China. And then here's part of what LeBron had to say yesterday. We, we all talk about this freedom of speech. Yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen. Um, 
when you're not thinking about others. You know, you're only, you're only thinking about yourself. So um, I don't believe, um, I don't want to get into a, a, word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl. Um, with Daryl uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand, and um, and he spoke. And uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed, um, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so just be careful what we what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that too. All right, so that was LeBron there. And then afterward, Twitter. LeBron took to Twitter saying, let me clear up the confusion. I do not believe there was any consideration for the consequences and ramifications of the tweet. I'm not discussing the substance. Others can talk about that. End quote. Raja, you heard LeBron. You're reading tweets from LeBron. Yeah. How did you interpret his comments? Um, well, after you've given me the tweets to kind of clarify his position, um, I agree with the second tweet there. Um, he could like, look, I say this all the time about people tweeting, like not specific to Daryl Morey. A lot of times people don't give a whole lot of thought uh, about the ramifications of tweets. They don't, they just fire them from the hip. It's why I'm always on here saying like, get off Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I don't know that I would be agreeing with LeBron in that Daryl Morey wasn't educated on what he tweeted about. Like Daryl Morey believed in what he tweeted. It's why he tweeted it. Um, whether the NBA liked it or LeBron liked it, or that's a different story, but I don't believe him to have been uneducated broad, broad picture here. Like if I'm the NBA, this is like, why are you still talking about this? Like this was about to go away. Like it was like a wildfire for, I don't know, a week mm -hmm. and it had gotten really quiet. Um, Adam Silver had to be like going to sleep at night saying his last little prayers that like this was going to just not be an issue anymore. And then he, you know, wakes up and, and he reads this. He's got to be, you know, really deep down. If you question Adam Silver, he'd probably tell you he was disappointed that LeBron addressed it the way he did last night because I think it reopened uh, the conversation that was going away. And the only thing that the NBA could hope for on the heels of what happened was for the conversation to go away. And again, they were wrapping up the preseason, getting ready for a new NBA regular season, and it had kind of gotten out of the news cycle. Yeah. People had sort of stopped talking about it. Now it gets reignited. A couple things to me that just look, and I, you know, I'm not dialed into the, to the league and I didn't play in the league, but like it's just to me for knowing LeBron in terms of covering and seeing how he operates and. It just seems to me it's tough when you say, I don't think, you know, Daryl had any idea of what he's doing. And yet after about seven days, I still don't have a firm stance on, on, on what I want to do. Now, obviously coming from a guy who believes strongly in social justice and, and things in a league and a uh, player empowerment environment. And then because really the, the elephant in the room and the thing that everyone talks about is, 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 is hypocrisy, if that's the case, right? Yep. Like here's LeBron, a guy who, who, who stands for this, talks about this, and yet when this situation comes up because of the money that is involved with China, with the NBA, and ultimately with the owners and players, that this is the reason why, A, LeBron hasn't said anything, or now he's saying this and going against Daryl Moore. Um, look, I, this is a, this is an interesting conversation for me because I, I've been one and I've said it before. Um, just because one is able to speak about social injustices in their own country, things that are 
that they're educated on, things that they've experienced, they've lived, their ancestors have lived, um, doesn't mean that one has to take a stance on everything in the world that he doesn't understand necessarily. Do you know what I mean? So I, I feel that way. I, again, um, so I'm not saying that LeBron, I don't, I don't know that LeBron has to come out and unequivocally says that he disagrees like with the politics of China. Why does he got to do that? Right. Like, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, he don't got to do it for me. What, who needs him to do it for him? I don't know, you know, but I do think he should leave Daryl Morey in that situation out of his mouth. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you don't, if you're not going to take a stand, I, I'm not telling you, you need to, but, but, but don't be taking a stance on what Daryl's saying. Just let Daryl, like Daryl did what he did. Daryl believes in that. Like, he said what he said, and you don't have to be addressing it. If they pose questions or pose questions to you uh, regarding it, I would simply say, "Hey, look, I don't, ha- I don't have really have a comment on the on the Daryl Morey China situation. Like, let's play ball. Like, you know what? And keep it moving. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm not saying that you have to, but I certainly, I am the type of person that says, "Look, y- you can talk about. I talk about things I know about. Mm-hmm. I'm smart enough to not talk about things that I don't really know about, at least with a, a real opinion regarding them. Do you know what I mean? So I'll afford other people the opportunity to do that as well, and I, and I won't crucify them for that. It's just interesting, too. And again, it's a dynamic that I think a lot of people think they know, especially when it comes to China, which operates as an authoritative and authoritarian government. And again, we're not going to dissect all that stuff. I'm just saying, like, it's not just sports athletes. You have actors, entertainers, DJs that are not allowed to go to China because if they take a, a similar stance to what Daryl Morey did, that's just how they run things. There. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is the growth of the NBA through China and the rights and everything. It's obviously blown up, so there's a lot of money. So, you know, when, when people say LeBron's not taking a stance or Steve Kerr's not taking a stance or anybody not taking a stance, it's easy to point the finger like, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you standing up for social injustice here and there? And like, yeah, no, I hear you. It's a look at nuanced conversation for sure. Right. Um, I certainly am not update with like the politics and, and policies many of us and, aren't. And, and so I'm not, I, I'm simply speaking about, you know, the way our athletes do or don't talk about it. I, I am not involved in the China situation because I don't know, Tom. And with that, we're done. More HQ coming up, everybody. Thanks for joining us here at KB.